Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. So we're now going to have a reading about a very interesting man called Melchizedek. It's a long reading, and God bless Grace Tutty because she's volunteered or been willing to, uh, to, to read it. Over to Grace, and the first thing uh, we're going to read is from Hebrews 5, uh, verses 7 to 10, and then the rest will move into chapter 7. So over to you, Grace. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and pest petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death and he was heard because of his reverent submission son though he was he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by god to be high priest in the order of melchizedek i'm moving on to chapter seven and uh, the writer picks up this theme about melchizedek This Melchizedek was son of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the son of God, he he remains a priest forever. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now moving from chapter 7, verse 11. Just skipping a bit. Carry on. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. He of whom these things are said belong to a different tribe and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear. If another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. Okay, and then the final section, which we read together, verse 23 to 28. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood, Therefore, he is able to serve completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints a high, as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed to the Son, who has been made perfect forever. Thank you, Grace. Well done. Not an easy passage, and uh, well done. Let me pray. And if you're just where you are in the room, why don't you take a moment again just to be open to hearing the voice of God now. 
Father, we thank you for Zoom. We thank you for this great technology. We thank you for everyone gathered here and those that we can't be gathered to today. Uh, Lord, we want to hear your voice at this time in our world. Now we need truth and clarity and a touch from you from heaven. And we pray now through your word, you give us that in Jesus name. Amen. Assurance in troubling times. We live in troubling times, don't we? Strange times, unprecedented times. We're reacting to a pandemic that this generation nor the previous generation has seen the like of. It poses a threat to our health, our economy, and the very fabric of our world. How long will it last is uncertain. How devastating will the effects be is unknown. What will life be once it's over is not clear. And no one is exempt. Our own Taoiseach, as he addressed the nation on Patrick's Day, said viruses pay no attention to borders, race, nationality, or gender. COVID-19 is no respecter of persons. We are all equal before it. So whether we react from faith or fear is a great revealer of our characters and what's going on inside. Again, our Taoiseach said this, we need to halt the spread of the virus, but we also need to halt the spread of fear. Fear is a virus in itself. You see, COVID-19 is revealing something about the frailty, the vulnerability, and the impotence of humanity at this time. The illusion that we are in control has been revealed as just that, an illusion. We are not in control, and fear can quickly take hold. These are troubling times we live in. And so where do, you, where do you go to find assurance in troubling times? Well, today, I want to propose a surprising answer. Melchizedek. Hebrews chapter 7 is arguably the high point of the book of Hebrews, as Jesus is described as a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. The theme of Melchizedek has been introduced a number of times in the book of Hebrews, but here we are told more about him that he's, and, and how he's different from the priests that came from the line of Aaron and Levi. And I want you to notice verse 26, such, it should be chapter 7, excuse me, such a high priest meets our need. This priest in our troubling times meets our need. Do you see, do you remember the context of the people that were receiving the book of Hebrews? They too were experiencing troubling times. Like us, their future was uncertain and unknown. They'd been suffering, but not for weeks, for 15 or 20 years. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that there'd been a great conflict. They'd been publicly insulted and persecuted. They'd been put in prison. They'd experienced, they'd experienced horrendous personal circumstances, like the confiscation of their property. These were troubling at times, and it affected the daily lives of the Christians. It affected their well-being, their finances, their job security, their friendship circles. Everything for these Christians had been turned upside down. And it wasn't just for a few weeks and months. This was for years. And remember, the challenges had gone on for so long, they'd started to wear the Christians down. And some of the Christians in, who the book of Hebrews is written to were thinking about giving up on Jesus. And he urges them not to. He says, no, persevere. And he says, not just persevere, but mature. The Christians he was writing to were to utilize the trials as an opportunity to maturity. 
And we'll come back in to look at this in Hebrews chapter 12, when we're to see trials as God's discipline to form us. So for us, in our time of crisis, we either have an opportunity to crumble in fear, to backslide and to stagnate, or an opportunity to trust God and mature, to use time wisely and to grow. Listen to Hebrews 6.1. He says, therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward. Do you see the past? Be taken forward. Let the trials take you on. How? Because you understand who Melchizedek is. And in summary, we learn true truths about Jesus as a priest in the order of Melchizedek. He's a superior high priest meeting our need for hope. And he's a permanent high priest meeting our need for security. A superior high priest, that should, that should say, meeting our need for secure hope. Excuse me. Now, Melchizedek is mentioned three times in the Bible. He's mentioned in Genesis 14 and in Psalm 110. And then he's mentioned in the book of Hebrews. If it wasn't for the book of Hebrews, we may never have thought much about Melchizedek. So what happens in Genesis 14? Well, in Genesis 14, Abraham wins a battle against a group of kings. Imagine like the ancient kings uh, or clan leaders in Ireland warring for power and territory. Now, these ancient kings had kidnapped his nephew Lot. So Abraham goes to win back and rescue his nephew Lot. And he, he beats the warring kings and he becomes king of kings in the sense in that region of the world. It's in Genesis 14. And then as he comes back, we read this. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed Abraham saying, blessed be Abraham by God most high, creator of the heavens and the earth. And praise be to God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. So Abraham wins a battle and then meets this strange figure. And the writer of the Hebrew says, well, this Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem, which means king of priest. Uh, king of peace you see you see salem uh, shalom is from the same root in hebrew and so it means peace and shalom and we actually to take melchizedek as being king of jerusalem and the king of that city of peace and his name means king of righteousness and he wasn't just a king but a priest and then these two things happen melchizedek blesses abraham and then abraham gives melchizedek a tenth a tie and then the story ends Melchizedek disappears from the pages of history, the records, the pages of scripture and the records of history for a thousand years. We never hear about him. He's gone. And then in Psalm 110, another king of Jerusalem, David, writes a messianic psalm. A messianic means a psalm prophesying about a future king who's going to come and conquer and establish peace and beat all the enemies like Abraham had done. And in the middle of this psalm, we have this enigmatic statement from the king of Jerusalem, David. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You're a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And that's it for another thousand years. He disappears from the record of history. He disappears from the pages of scripture. We only have Genesis 14 and Psalm 110 just hanging there in history waiting 
for a resolution. What is the meaning of this man? Who is he? Why did David write about a conquering king who's also a priest? Enter the book of Hebrews to give us the answer. And when the book of Hebrews gives us the answer as to why this man is important, what does he immediately say about him? He says he's, he's superior. He says, just think about how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Proof of the greatness of this man Melchizedek was that Abraham, who was a great man, Abraham was the carrier of the promises of God. Abraham had a special and intimate relationship with God. Abraham was the father of the Jewish people. And yet Abraham gave him the tenth. And Melchizedek blesses Abraham. And, and so the writer says, without doubt, the lesser Abraham is blessed by the greater. But it's not just Abraham that Melchizedek was greater than. God had said that one of Abraham's descendants, Levi, would, would that tribe would be set apart to be the priests, the Levitical priests. And one of those from the tribe of Levi, Aaron, and his descendants would be the high priest. Now, in the Old Testament, if you wanted to meet with God, you had to go to the temple or the tabernacle. And, and then inside the temple and the tabernacle was a holy place, which was shielded off by a, a curtain. And then inside the, the holy place was another called the Most Holy or the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, behind these two curtains, was the place where God dwelt. There was the Ark of the Covenant, the Ten Commandments. There was a little bit of staff of, of Aaron's staff. Um, and then above it was the mercy seat, the place of atonement. And in Exodus, when you read the details about it, the, 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 the curtains, it's called the shielding curtain. We had to be shielded from the presence of God. In his holiness, we couldn't come close. And then we learn about this day of atonement, Yom Kippur, where not the Levites, but just the descendants of Aaron, the high priests, could go in once a year into the Holy of Holies. And when the high priest would go in, they would first go in and they would sprinkle, they would make a sacrifice in the holy place with a bull and take in the blood of that bull and sprinkle it on the atonement cover, on the mercy seats, on top of the Ark of the Covenant, seeking forgiveness for their own sin. They'd then come back out of the the Holy of Holies, and then make another sacrifice, this time a goat, and would take the blood of the goat in and sprinkle on the mercy seat above the covenant, the blood asking for atonement, not now for their sin, but for the sins of the people. The high priest represented the people to God. That was their role. They were mediators, mediating the presence, mediating the forgiveness of God. And so a key bit of detail about this high priest is they wore a breastplate. And on the breastplate above the heart were inscribed the 12 tribes of Israel. And so the high priest goes into the presence of God wearing the tribes of Israel on his heart. And the other 11 tribes would all have to be paid attention. They'd all be called to, 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 to participate, but they could only stand and watch. And they would stand and watch anxiously, waiting to see, would God be merciful and accept the high priest's offering? Because if he didn't, the high priest would die in the presence of God. But if he did, there would be a declaration to the nation of Israel. The high priest would come out of the Holy of Holies and say, we have been forgiven and we've been pardoned for another year. But the fact that the high priest had to go in year on year and the fact that they were un so uncertain about whether the high priest would live or not, or whether he would come out and, and the fact that it just had to be done year on year shows that the sacrifice was never sufficient. No animal sacrifice had the power to deal permanently with sin. 
the sacrifices were pointing to something better. And so verse 11, he says, if perfection could have been attained to the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to establish that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek and not Aaron. You see, perfection means a right standing with God so that you can enter right into the presence of God. Perfection means I can enter in to the presence of God. I can be in the Holy of Holies. But no one could do that, not even the Levites and only the high priest once a year. There was a barrier, a shielding barrier. And I'm just going through the Old Testament myself. I'm up to I'm up to Chronicles. Whenever God's presence comes in the Old Testament, it is dangerous. The burning bush, you must take off those sandals, Moses. Mount Sinai, he comes down. Don't even touch that mountain. You will die. Once the Ark of the Covenant in Samuel is being moved and, it's, and, and, and the oxen stumbles and Uzzah reaches out his hand to stop the Ark falling and Uzzah is killed. Why was the presence of God so dangerous? Well, it's because our sin was so great and grievous. Sin means we need to be shielded from God's holiness. He cannot tolerate sin. And the book of Romans says the wages of sin is death. Sin is what brings physical death into this world and eternal death, separation from God. We cannot get access to God. Perfection has not come. We need another priest, not of the order of Aaron. It's not good enough. We need another one. And so then he says, well, about Melchizedek and Jesus being the ultimate Melchizedek says, unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. In Jesus, we have a high priest who can bring us into the presence of God because he's sinless and his sacrifice is perfect and final. Friends, Jesus carried our name on his heart to the cross. And he never needed to do any more sacrifices. It was once for all. We're forgiven eternally. You know, the coronavirus has got us thinking about what is deadly. There is something far, there's a far more deadly virus than coronavirus. And it's the virus of sin. Sin is no respecter of persons. We're all infected by it. And as a result, we are all isolated from God. We cannot get in. Sin has brought this physical death into our world that we're so fearful of. It creates havoc and loss and heartache. And sin is what leads to full and final eternal separation from God. There's something far more dangerous than coronavirus. It's the virus of sin. But this high priest meets our need. He deals with sin. He deals with death. He puts us right with God. He shields us so we can enter right in and not be isolated and quarantined. We can come in. You know, you'll never be a mature Christian until you have taken on that Jesus has fully and finally dealt with your sin once for all. You are forever, eternally forgiven. You won't mature as a Christian until you know that the antidote for sin is far more important than the antidote to COVID-19. As important as it is, and we have the antidote in Jesus. And so we have hope. Physical death is not the end. And eternal death, separation from God, has been dealt with. We have hope. So verse 25, 
Therefore, he is able to save completely or forever or to the uttermost those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. No sin, no record of wrong will count against you. You are saved forever if you put your faith in Jesus. You're saved completely. You're saved to the uttermost. You want to grow in maturity as a Christian? You want to gain assurance? You want to overcome fear? Grasp this that you are forever eternally saved in Jesus. His sacrifice was sufficient. But it's not just hope he gives us. It's also help. Hebrews chapter 2, 4 and 5, we've learned about this high priest. He became a man. He was tempted as we are. He suffered as we do. He tasted death like we do. He entered fully into our experience. I was reading a brilliant blog about this. And he said, uh, the story of the Bible is the story of a God who came down into our world infected with this virus of sin. He lived amongst sick people, not wearing a mask or a chemical protection suit, but breathing the same air as us, eating the same food as us. And sure enough, he was infected and killed. He died in isolation, excluded from the people. And so Hebrews says he's able to sympathize. Matthew read it at the start, Hebrews 4. He's able to help. Every day, he's here to help. And every day through him, we get access to the King of Kings. Brothers and sisters, as we meet on Zoom online, we live in uncertain times, but we have hope. Physical death and eternal death have been dealt with in Jesus. And we have help, access to the King of Kings, access to the presence of God, and a high priest who, who sympathizes with us. Come right into the King of Kings. Bring your requests this week. Bring your fears. Bring your panic. Bring your uncertainty. Bring your frustrations. Let's overcome fear in him. Let's find more maturity in him. Let's find assurance in our troubling times in him. He's a superior high priest who meets our need for hope. But he's also a permanent high priest who meets our need for security. If you're from a Jewish background and you've listened to this talk up to this point or you've read Hebrews up to this point, uh, you've got a problem. And the problem goes like this. Wait a minute. The priests were from the tribe of Levi and the kings are from the tribe of Judah. You know, those, you know those genealogies in the Old Testament that you often skip over. You go, oh, I don't want to read those genealogies. They say, boy, they are there to show us that Jesus came from King David and David came from the line of Judah. And in uh, Genesis 49, it said the scepter will never depart from Judah. And in, in 1 Samuel 3, uh, 7, 13, excuse me, 2 Samuel 7, 13, it says there'll be an everlasting kingdom from, from the tribe of David. So the king comes from Judah via David and the priest comes from Levi. Well, how can we have a king who's also a priest? And so that's what he says. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah. And in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. So how can Jesus be a high priest if he's from the tribe of Judah? Well, the answer is Melchizedek. What we have said, verse 15, is even more clear. If another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of regulation as to his ancestry, all those genealogies, but on the basis of a power of an indestructible life, for it is declared in Psalm 110, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So David had foreseen that God would raise up another priest, a priest that could be king as well, but not based on ancestry, but based on the power of an indestructible life. 
And what does an indestructible life mean? If you look at verse three, the writer says this, without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning or end of days, resembling the son of God, he remains a priest forever. Talking about Melchizedek. You see, when you read Genesis 14, everyone else in the story up to that point has died, pretty much, apart from Enoch. Everyone else has had a mother and a father, a genealogy. Everyone's the father of or the son of, or, but not Melchizedek. There's no mom. There's no dad. There's no ancestry. There's no birth. There's no death. Now, it doesn't mean that those things weren't true for him, but that is how he appears in the story in the book of Genesis. There's no birth. There's no death. There's no family line. Again, it's not that those things weren't true of him, but this is how he appears in the story. He stands in the Bible forever as a priest forever. He's a permanent priest. Now, the, the early Jewish historian Josephus records that from Aaron to the destruction of the Jewish temple in AD 70, there were 83 high priests in total. From Aaron to the destruction of the temple in AD 70, and all of them died because they were never able to bring us perfectly to God. And so they had to keep making sacrifices and we needed a new priest. But verse 25 says, therefore he is able to save completely forever to the uttermost those who come to God because he has this indestructible life. He's a priest forever. And Melchizedek becomes a type of an example of Jesus, a priest forever. And so we have something really important here on the cross we have the finished work of Christ, that all that needs to be done to save us has been done. The penalty of our sin has been taken away. But have you ever thought about the unfinished work of Christ? Have any of you ever thought of that phrase? Where is Jesus now? What is Jesus doing now? Verse 25, he always lives to intercede for them. There's the finished work, my sins are forgiven on the cross. And as the unfinished work of Christ, as in heaven, he came out, he, he ascended to the Father's side and he continually prays for his church. Have you ever thought about that? Right now, the Lord Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for me. He's praying for us. And we read so much wonderful things. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One is holy when we're sinful. One who is blameless when we are guilty. One who is pure when we're defiled. One who is set apart when we feel trapped by human conditions. One who is exalted to the heavens when we're unable to escape the tragedies and death of this earth. This high priest truly meets our need. Those early Christian converts who'd come from Judaism and were thinking of going back to Judaism are being told about their high priest so they can have absolute assurance that their salvation is secure. So we do not need to doubt our salvation or eternity. Jesus did it once, but he is forever praying for us. He won't let you go. I wonder if you go, is my salvation in jeopardy? You know, does it all depend on me? What happens if I have those bad thoughts about doubting God and, you know, no, no, no. He is praying for you. That's more important than your emotions. His constant prayer. I love Psalm 63 verse 8. David prays, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. I wonder if you feel right now that you're just clinging to God, just barely hanging on. You're not sure. You're not sure. Life is tough. You're clinging on something. You know, it's just tough. He's always praying. His right hand right now is up. You might feel fragile. He feels strong. 
and he is upholding you, he is forever praying for you, this can bring calm assurance. So what about our present crisis in Ireland and around the world? Are we secure? Can we have confidence in God? Is our future secure? Maybe you think the pressures and the anxiety and the fear will crush your heart and cause you to fall away from God. Fear not. We have a high priest who is un, in his unfinished work continues to forever pray for you. Read these. Katie already used these verses in her prayer about the finished and the unfinished work of Christ. What then, shall, what then shall we say in response to these things, the gift of the high priest to us? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, was raised to life. What is he doing? Is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or COVID-19? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered sheep to the slaughter. That's the Christian story. We don't live for this life. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor COVID-19, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nor health scares, nor job losses, nor financial insecurity, nor isolation, nor quarantine, nor your, your emotions in your heart, nor your fears at night, nor your nightmares in the day. Nothing. He's praying for you. We have a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And even though there is a virus more deadly than COVID-19 called sin, sin will never separate us from God for those that have put their faith in Christ. Will some secret, secret sexual sin separate you from God? Will some hidden darkness in your life, some repetitive pattern of idolatry, some insecurity that you feel greatly that no one knows, whatever it is, do you think there's something that can put your salvation in jeopardy? Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. All you need to do is draw near. He does the rest. Question, how do you define maturity? Well, maybe by how you react in a time of need. Do you thrash around in panic and anxiety? Life is terrible. We give it, you know, it's all chaotic and you can't cope and you give in to fear. No, we have a high priest that meets our needs. He forgives our sins. He saves us eternally. He gives us direct access to God. He's forever interceding for us. He's superior. He's permanent. He gives you hope. He gives you help. He gives you absolute security. This is maturity. Don't give up on him. Don't turn back and use this time of trial as an opportunity for maturity. Use the extra time you have well. 
Use the challenges and the pressures to force you to reflect on your own heart. Find other Christians who can help you online. Read the scriptures, pray, reflect. This high priest meets our need. A high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Let's take a moment to pray. And then we're going to sing one of the most magnificent songs about Jesus being our priest who gives us access to the throne of God. Let's take a moment to be quiet. Lord Jesus, we come to you today so grateful that you're not only the king who rules us and subdues our chaotic hearts, but you're the high priest who is superior and who's permanent and has done all that needed to be done to deal with the most deadly virus that exists, the virus of sin. And you were infected by it so you could set us free from it. And we say, Thank you, Lord Jesus. You are wonderful. You're worthy of all praise and worship. We thank you for your finished work, the once for all sacrifice on our behalf that saves us forever completely, that guarantees us access to the presence of God, that shields us from his holiness and makes us holy as we receive your righteousness. And we thank you today more than ever for your unfinished work your intercession for each of us, that my soul clings to you, but your right hand upholds me. It is not the emotions in my heart that will dictate my future. It is your hand that is upholding me and your prayers. And we thank you that as we're just trying to cling on, you are upholding each of us. And you're using this time to teach us and to reveal things and to mold us and to shape us and to bring glory to your name. So we praise you today for being our great high priest in the order of Melchizedek.